The following program is brought to you free of charge by the generous sponsorship of an anonymous donor in honour of Saints Thomas Aquinas and Teresa of Avila. Please keep this donor in your prayers. Welcome to Restoration Radio. I am one of your co-hosts, Stephen Heiner. I'm joined today my fellow co-host and very good friend, Nicholas Wansbetter. And today we've decided to pick a fight in public with you as our uh, as our audience. Um, today our topic is the Olympics and what a Catholic point of view might be on this modern spectacle. And Nicholas and I were talking before the show, and we agreed that we probably have to start the discussion by talking about sport in general, the nature of it, and um, whether that's a healthy pastime or, or what what that might be in our lives as its own as its own thing, separate from the Olympics. And I guess I'd, I'd allow you to to share your opinion first, Nicholas, on the role of sport in your life and and. Uh, your children who are growing up, what kind of role will sport have for them? Right. Well, and it's an interesting question because I think we've talked about this before on the show that we're all modern people to a certain degree. We're products of the modern world it's where we've grown up. So to me, it's always a struggle or it's always a a pursuit to be followed of trying to figure out what is the proper way to approach things, and in this context, what's the proper way to approach sport, and what, and to what degree have I been influenced in a bad direction by growing up in modern society. And in, in preparation for the show, I uh, pulled out briefly Romano Amerio's uh, masterful work, Iota Unum, a study of changes in the Catholic Church in the 20th century, and they've got a chapter on sports, uh, chapter 10, and I'm just, I just want to quote from that because it gives some discussion of traditional Catholic teaching as regards sport, and I think this is, we need to try to internalize this and uh, approach sport in this fashion. So if anyone has this book, I can just refer you to page 227, is where I'd be starting, and says, in the tradition of Catholic teaching, the care of the body was considered under the heading of exercise and fitness, and it merged with medical considerations about hygiene. And um, the, then it goes on that the separation of uh, these elements, the erection of bodily exercise into a special form of human activity, and finally it's apotheosis, are all things that have happened in the last century. The way that sport is treated in modern society is unprecedented in human history. Uh, uh, Mr. Romero points out in the, or is it Dr. Romero? I'm not sure. In, in any event, he points out. In, right. He, he points out in the at the very beginning of the chapter that even the ancient Greeks appro- dealt with sport in a different fashion the way we do, and dealt with the Olympics in a different fashion the way we do. And uh, he points out, I am well aware that the cultivation of personal strength and beauty in ancient times was one of the links that bound the Greek cities together in their amphictyonies, and that such qualities were celebrated at civic festivals. But these festivals involved the whole of Greek culture, and poets, historians, and playwrights were honored at them no less than winners of races and athletic contests. There were no Pindars among modern champions. What we I call think that's prowess was what we call sporting prowess was only one rather conspicuous element of the ancient festivals. But even in ancient Greece, sporting ability was not much valued when separated from that cultural whole. 
of which it was a part, and the mere pursuit of sports as such was despised by philosophers and ridiculed in comedies. So, well, and I, I, to that point as well, we have to keep in mind that sport at that time, especially among the Spartans, was was at least part training for war. So there right, was and, a, there was a secondary purpose and, there. Right, and I think that carries through in in uh, Catholic culture as well. When I, I you know me, I'm a medievalist. I always go back to the Middle Ages. I consider it the golden age of Catholic civilization. I look look to the Middle Ages. What place did sport have at that time? Really, what what comes to mind are the tournaments, yeah. the jousting, archery, melee. Um, again, that fulfilled the dual purpose of training for war as well, and the archery training for war and hunting, I suppose, at the same time. And hunting, of course, being another sporting type event. But it was a totally different approach, and it wasn't sport being some good in itself. It was, again, is under exercise and fitness with medical considerations about hygiene. So it was about... Uh, having a the, the old saying, uh, healthy body, healthy mind, and it was so. It's part of that, and I think that's what we need to get back to, and that's what I am trying to get towards. Fortunately, my children are still young enough, although they're starting to get to the age where I think that some involvement of sport will be beneficial to them because it is very important to stay fit, and I know certainly. As a lawyer, my job is fairly sedentary. I mean, I'm either sitting in an office reading cases and books or I'm standing at a podium at most, maybe wandering slightly from the podium for dramatic effect. So sports are have a certain value, it could be argued, in our society that maybe they didn't have before. And since previously, almost everyone did jobs that involved some sort of physical or manual labor. So there, there is that benefit. But again, it's a totally different reason to appreciate it. It's to stay yeah, healthy. Yeah, I mean, you could say if St. Thomas had had the gym back then, he wouldn't have gotten so big maybe, you know, because he had a fairly sedentary job also. Right. <laughs> um, so, but but I, I am, uh, just to your question about with children... I am cognizant of the way that sport is used and, I would say, abused in modern society. And as much as I love hockey and consider it the king of sports... Of course, I'm the Canadian would say that. My children. Right. I, I'm, hes- I'm a bit hesitant about it because Canadians are so crazy about it. it it's so competitive, even to the, the lowest levels of children and... There's such expectations, even just, you know, you're expected to be at every single practice, you're expected to be at every single game, or you're some great traitor to your team. And but can't, can't you bring some moderation to Marcel and tell him, don't worry about what everyone else says? This is just a game. Well, that that can be done to a certain degree. That's what I said. I'm hesitant. I'm not saying that I, I've forbid the idea or that it's not going to happen, but I am inclined a bit towards some perhaps less popular sports where things are a bit more casual. So uh, let me I get, let me get to that magic. point. Why do you, Did you play sports as a, as a child? Oh, uh, oh yes. <laughs> I, so, I played. So, when, so when you look and back maybe, at that, was, maybe, was that generally a positive experience for you? When you look I back and say, I, I'm, I'm glad I played sport, it made, it made my schooling experience better, it made my life better? Yes, there was definitely a positive aspect to it. And I should just say, I did play quite a bit of sport growing up. I, oh, I, well, I played football, Canadian football, you know, man's football with three downs instead of outrageous <laughs> four downs, and a man-sized field and ball. Rather In the than spirit the, of the Olympics, Nicholas is getting very patriotic here. Uh, getting all sort of Canadian but, on uh, it. Right. So I, I played uh, football from, oh, about grade four up until grade 12. And I played, I was the captain of my high school football team, and I played on the uh, um, uh, 
Manitoba provincial football team. Not tooting my own horn, but I just want to point that out also so that no one thinks, oh, you know, Juan Sputter is just, you know, the bitter nerd geek that got beaten up by the jocks all the time at school, and that's why he's so against the Olympics. Uh, I did get into hockey at a later age. Um, I, re- I didn't like it when I was when I was younger, and I, I can't remember that far back as to why I didn't like it, but my parents said I hated it, and I begged them not to make me play, so I didn't take that up until I was in grade 10. Um, and, uh, yeah, so definitely good experiences. Because I, I did, too. I, I, played, I played sports every season. I played water polo and soccer and track and cross-country and... I, uh, I I only associate generally good things, and I think some of, we talk about manliness, some of the hazing and um, difficult things that go on, I appreciated that. I mean, of course, nobody looks forward to getting hazed, but I think that that, that sort of positive, when, when we remove that there's other contexts for this, um, you t- we've talked about scouting before, and that, that's probably something for another show, but if there's if there's not... Um, context for positive male interaction to reinforce uh, general notion of manliness. I think sport does fill that need. You have this sense of competitiveness. Um, what does it take to work together as a team? Sometimes you're going to have to work with people you don't like, but they, they perform well and you, you work around that. Um, how do you deal with the disappointment of losing? Um, how, do you, how do you train? Uh, how do you push your body farther? Um, in that Olympic motto of seats to use, all to use, four to use, you know, stronger, higher, faster. Um, I think that that's, that's good insofar as you're challenging yourself at an age when you're younger, when you, you can challenge your body. I, th- I think that those are all positive things. I think you're right. In, in America, believe me, we have the same sort of reinforcements about soccer and some other sports here where it's really, especially football, especially in Texas, you could say. But the thing is you always have the choice as the parent to mitigate those messages. And if your child is sensible, which I imagine there's a lot of grounding in reality at the Wandsputter House, that they're not going to get sucked into the vortex of hockey is my life. Now, this, of course, is the exception that if they're very good at hockey and maybe they could make a life out of hockey, and I think that's a, that's a good segue into our next point because the Olympics is at least pretending to be a showcase for, the, could we say, the professional amateur or the, the sort of person who allegedly makes a living or is so good at doing something that they, they don't do anything else. Um, and, and the Olympics provides a showcase for that. So obviously, if, if one of your children was very, very good at a sport, would you encourage them to be a professional in that sport? I, I doubt it. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, if they were an absolute prodigy, then obviously God's given them some... Uh, very unique gifts, but I mean, I've known a number of people that were extremely gifted, and they still didn't have what it took to get to the level of professional sports, and the the reason I'm balking at the suggestion is because the absolute, total, and utter dedication required to, to get to that level is I I don't see how that can be consistent with the Catholic lifestyle because when you say Catholic it, lifestyle are you are you talking in terms of the the balance the everything in moderation or yeah, yeah, that the, you can't dedicate yeah, yourself to sport as a Catholic principle? No, I think it's the the balance. You cannot live a balanced life and be to the level of an Olympian. At least from people I've known that it, that I've known at least one individual I know who participate who competed in the Sydney Olympics and I know what his life was like and it, it's because you your entire life secular has to be monk. like your your diet has to be according to your diet is completely de- um, dictated by your nutritional requirements to be at that level you're in the gym or on the track or whatever all the time uh, you, I mean as as we were discussing before the show started you can't. You'll never be fasting or um, fasting or abstaining because if you do, you're going to lose that slight edge. I mean, you know what separates. Right, but uh, we've talked about that before. That some some, some uh, professions. If you're a surgeon, for example, you 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 don't necessarily have to fast. There, the church has always seen there's sort of a common sense behind 
um, when you fast and abstain. Right, but, but the life you're describing right. sounds to me, I would characterize as a, a secular monk. Because monks don't get a choice about what they eat. They don't get a choice about their work. They're doing right. the same thing all the well, time. And it's long days. Yeah. And so I they're think just working in the right there. A secular monk, but a secular monk devoted to what? Not devoted to God. But well, I'm saying that there, could, could there not be a Catholic expression? Could there not be a Catholic expression of this? Could we not have someone who is 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 dedicating their body to the sport, but also, you know, prays at the appropriate time? You know, as as Catholic lay people, we're not required to pray the office or say a mass every day. If this person said their morning prayers and night prayers, that's not onerous to do. They could probably even knock out the Angelus in between what they're doing for workouts. And not every sport right. has the but, same sort of dedication that you're going to see in track and field or swimming. As it, we right. talked about with archery I, I or shooting, that's going to be a different level of dedication. Or fencing is a different level of dedication than there is on a, a very physical sport. I would argue that there's a distinction to be made between professional sports and any other profession. Sports are completely frivolous. They're not doing anything for society. The surgeon, who doesn't necessarily have to fast, well... We need surgeons. He's he's going to save someone's life by doing that surgery, and that's a totally different circumstance where he's not fasting so that his mind is sharp. So when he cuts open the person's brain to do a uh, do some brain surgery, that he's sharp and he's going to do it right, and it's it's not going to be endangering this person's well, life. I, I, I don't disagree with you, Nicholas, but is that not a fairly utilitarian argument? If we say that we don't need sport, well, we don't need poetry. We don't need music. Oh, but we do need poetry. Well, I, well we but, do need by, poetry. But but that's what I'm saying is by what measure do we say we need poetry but we don't need sport? Insofar as there is well, a, we, an additional there is an additional engagement in society and, and a fulfillment that some people find that helps them uh, apart from their regular daily life. So they've got their work, right. they've got their family, they've got um, their commitments, and sport is a is a well, healthy diversion for them. And, and, and it's certainly I'm, not I'm the gladiatorial game. Right. Uh, I'm going to have to, well, <laughs> I, I would, I don't know that it's not the gladiatorial game necessarily. Just because there isn't blood being spilled and people dying doesn't mean that it's not gladiatorial. And, and again, that goes to me, the, way, the absolute and total sacrifice of people's lives and relationships that they need to undergo in order to be at that Olympic level is a certain gladiatorial way. But... I say I need to backpedal a little bit on my comment about we need poets. You, I may have been a bit hasty in saying that because as I'm saying that, I'm recalling that in the Middle Ages, professional, well, I don't know about the troubadours, but uh, actors were considered just slightly above prostitutes. <laughs> in terms of Again, how, Nicholas, how I, I don't disagree with you about, I just, I'm worried that we're parsing it in a bit too much of a utilitarian Mindset and and again agreed that the Middle Ages are a I I wholeheartedly agree with you that the Middle Ages are a um, a standard that we can look back to and and engage with and say that's something that we should we should look to. However, as you have acknowledged, you have a job and there are other jobs that exist now that didn't exist in the Middle Ages. So people can't look back and get context and say, well, what was my job like in the Middle Ages? Well, because their job didn't exist. Right, my job, what I've done for many years, although we could argue tutors did exist, but tu- specialized tutoring did not exist. So I, I can't look back and say necessarily this is this is the way that 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 my life would have. Like merchants, for example, were were were, were seen in low regard, and in some way, as a business owner, I'm a merchant of, of sorts. But back to the idea of need, surely we only need food, clothing, and shelter, and to a certain extent, everything else is frivolity. It's just that poetry or art or music may be less frivolous uh, than sport. But I would, I would classify sport as a legitimate diversion in the wide universe of what Catholics can avail themselves of when, when, when they're not praying or working or eating or sleeping. Oh, it's absolutely a legitimate diversion. But, again, that comes back to the whole thing of it's a diversion. It's not what it's elevated to in modern society. And I suppose that's the difficulty I have with it all is I, I mean I, I've called it on on my blog Durandal and uh, I'll say it again here I mean the Olympics to me is I mean it's like the the ritual public ceremonial worship of man and and sport 
and hold that hold that thought, Nicholas. We've got we've got a caller, and I, I we're we're getting close to the halfway mark, so we'll let people know. You can, um, Nicholas, if you if you want to um, chat with that gentleman, I'll give out our telephone number. It's nine four nine two seven two nine four one seven. If you'd like to call in and share your views, or argue with us, or disagree, or agree. Um, a faster, um, less confrontational way, or maybe more confrontational way, would be on Twitter uh, at True Restoration. You can submit a question there uh, again, or call in nine four nine two seven two nine four one seven. And I think I think Nicholas makes a good point when he when he's saying that the Olympics are a how would we say uh, I, I forgot his phrase exactly, but talking about a apotheosis, a worship of man and sport. I don't disagree with that characterization. I do think that the Olympics can be overblown. And as we can look at it quite cynically with, with the commercial sponsors and the um, the way everything is marketed. You know, we're getting a, a blast of Olympic ads. And, of course, the irony of getting, you know, Olympic ads from McDonald's, something that Olympians probably have never eaten, you know, or haven't eaten for years that, you know, McDonald's would advertise for Olympians. I think there's there's a certain cynicism and a, a certain... There's a corruption as well. Anyone who's followed the ISOC, uh, international uh, the International Olympic Committee, they've had scandals throughout the years, bribery, corruption, that sort of thing. So I think Nicholas's point is well made that if you look at the modern Olympics, there's a lot to find fault with. Absolutely agreed. Well, and I'm just going to jump in there because that was one of the points I really wanted to bring up, and I think it's part and parcel of this elevation of sport to a good unto itself and to this, uh, you know, the Olympics, this obsession with it. I mean, the doping, I mean, that's why I'm not, one of the big reasons I'm not interested in the Olympics is I'm not interested in watching a bunch of people hopped up on steroids and growth hormone and what have you, such that they're at a level that no normal human being can achieve. And I know a lot of people would say, oh, that's exaggeration, you know, that, look, the IOC's on top of it, they always bust a few people. I mean, again, anecdotally, from the one Olympian that I've known in my time, I mean, he is in Sydney, he placed, I don't know, like 90th or 50th or something, it was quite, quite down there, and this was, um, I mean, what he told me is he said everyone that's, you know, placed 40th and up is doping. Just most of them don't get caught. And, um, I mean, the the cynical uh, conspiracy theorist in me would say that they even know it, and they just just choose to make examples of a few people here and there to be able to say, see, this is a clean game. We're, uh, we're, We're nailing dopers. I mean, I don't know about that. I think it's really that, as with crime, the criminals are always slightly ahead of the system, and they've always they they've got better ways to cover up their doping than the IOC has of de- detecting it, and they'll just catch the few that. I mean, that first of all, most of it's random testing, other than the the people who medal, but the people who get medals, surely they're the cream of the crop of their countries. Their countries are going to be making sure that they know how to cover up the doping. And I personally believe this this gentleman that I knew, who when he says that everyone was doping, I mean he wasn't. He said that's why he placed like whatever he placed like ninetieth or something like that because he said the people down there, those are the people who aren't doping, and even they're still supermen compared to the rest of us. I mean, <laughs> this man was six and a half feet tall, like two hundred and eighty pounds of pure muscle with like out uh, a hint of fat on his body. I mean, like he was like. You know, you look at him; it's like the Incredible Hulk. Um, well, did did, did you find a caller who who shared your views, Nicholas? Uh, I, I think so. Did, did we uh, did we want? We're at, we're just coming up on the halfway point, so we could introduce the caller into the mix. Sure. So uh, I'm going to put. So we've got uh, Maggie on the line now, and uh, I think she has uh, more some observations and questions but uh, we're we're happy to have your contribution to the discuss- discussion if you want to go ahead oh thank you um well uh going back to Stephen, you had asked uh, mr Wan's letter earlier about you know would you let your child if they had a propensity to go professional would you let them go professional 
And he, you know, had his uh, piccadillos about, you know, saying that he would. And uh, I very much agree with that. Um, but the way I understand it is, is that it's not so much a matter of utilitarian, a utilitarian viewpoint, but just that, you know, all the professional players all have things, like, thrown at them, these immoral lifestyles that are thrown at them. So the idea that they'd be able to live like a, culturally live a Catholic life, not just, you know, the prayers and, and going through the motions of living a Catholic life, but to be able to see that, it, it's just not, it, what are the odds? But, I mean, we've had, we've had celebrities, we've had people who are actors and, and other people who've had to live that life. I mean, the idea that we, we have to concede the elite positions in society to godless people, I think, is a, right. is a, is a bad thing. I but agree. I mean, I agree with that, you. Look, look what but would you want to be the parent in that position? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I agree, absolutely, in principle, in theory. Well, theoretically, if, if wands, it would but, work. If wands, but her children, I feel fine about it. You know, other people, you know, I'm not so sure. <laughs> oh, but, okay. but, 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 Stephen, I think that that's a great point that Maggie makes. I mean, well, let's look at some of the examples. I mean, I mean, look what's happened to Mel Gibson. I, I mean, knew you were going to say that. That could happen to any devout Catholicness. When you, I mean, I, I, thank goodness I was not good enough at sports because, I mean, I know, like, the guys who are the top-tier sports guys, like, they have women throwing themselves at them constantly. Not, I mean, <sighs> I, I certainly wouldn't want to be in that near occasion. No, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying, I don't. Do we, do we want to choose professions based on the level of temptation? Because, I mean, there are all sorts of, of, of positions, jobs in life, that are going to come with their own temptations that you don't anticipate. I, I don't think it's a good way to choose jobs in life based on the amount of temptation. It's certainly something that needs to be taken into consideration, 100%. But I don't think I would make I a know. defining choice and say, well, there's going to be a lot of temptation in that profession, so I can't do it. I, I think there may be certain <laughs> professions where there is too much temptation for a, a Catholic to legitimately be able to take part in it. I mean... I agree. Uh, I agree. Hmm. Yeah, high-level banking, acting. Did you, you say high-level banking? Yeah, I do, I do associate that with corruption. Well, and that's a great, because that would be another show topic, of course. Uh, but, but, yeah, sure, um, investment banking, um, I, yes. But <laughs> that's, that's uh, uh, certainly being a drug dealer, that would be incompatible with being a Catholic. I think that would, we, we can all agree. <laughs> well, that, that's specifically engaging in criminal activity, but... Um, Maggie, did you have any additional thoughts on that? I think I think we're agreed on your point that you, when you're looking at a profession, be it professional sports or anything else, it's very important as a Catholic to take a look at what's the level of temptation I'm exposed to. I think we can all agree on that. Well, I did want to say I'm glad you brought up the acting thing because I think of the professional sports thing as being very similar in that the the – the amount of money and prestige that is paid to these individuals, whether they're acting or professional sports, seems entirely disproportionate to the service that they're doing for society. Well, they're replacement and, gods in a way, are they not? Because, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree. Because we don't so have in one sense, we don't have be supporting festivals any religions. We have the Super Bowl instead, you know, or we have the NBA Finals. We don't we don't have feast days or, or processions anymore. So these have taken the place in a secular way, uh, for Catholic ceremonies. Right. Well, well, then, but if you were going to say that, though, then, then shouldn't you argue that, you know, if you support it, then, then you're like supporting <laughs> paganism. I mean, well, if you're going to, you know, take that ball and run with it. Yes, but, but well, but then I have, then, then, I, then I would be part of that group that constantly updates a, a, a spreadsheet that says, you know, which <laughs> corporations donated to Planned Parenthood, and now I can't buy milk. You know, right, uh, that's, right. that's not that's not a way for a Catholics to live. You can't live by a spreadsheet that, that tracks donations. I think that we have to live our lives um, as best we can in the modern world, and whenever we can operate, well, not whenever we can, we always need to operate by Catholic principles. But I think it's so corrupted. Nicholas made the point at the beginning of the show: we're all moderns. There's just no way to escape it. As much as we despise it, and there are times Nicholas and I look in the mirror and despise the fact that we're moderns. I'm sure you might as well. But we we are here. And so uh, I, I happen to like going to, you know, a sporting event. Um, 
but I would have never done that in the Middle Ages because they didn't have them. I would have gone to jousts, and I would I would have hit on pretty girls at the jousting <laughs> tournaments. But um, I don't have that opportunity now. I would love if you could tell me where jousting is happening. I would go there. But we, we, we don't times. even have anything when, like when that. When you visit when you visit me, Stephen, we'll go to Toronto for medieval times. <laughs> we'll go to a Renaissance. Oh, that's not the real thing. That's 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 a good That's awful. <laughs> I think you I think you've hit on something important, Maggie, by, by trying to link all those together. So acting, musicians, um uh, uh artists, um that they're we, 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 we give them a disproportionate amount of attention or money or all of those things because I they've I think they've become small G gods because we don't have nobility or kings anymore. That's normally where we would have placed our awe and attention is the queen, the king the emperor, that's, the pope, that's a great point. and that, that's all gone now. So where, mm-hmm. so that that desire in the human breast doesn't go away. It just becomes sublimated into actor worship or sports worship, but it's still there. This is this is a a good instinct that has nowhere to go in the modern world. Mm-hmm. So apparently, you don't you both don't disagree as much as as you thought you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the the issue sometimes with two friends who agree on a lot, you know, we sometimes have to pick fights, you know. But it always comes back to Catholic principles, and you can't uh, you can't avoid those. But I think it's just uh, I'm I'm a bit more willing to, um, let's say, uh, eat my bacon on Friday when it comes to watching the Olympics. Um, but, but we can talk <laughs> well, about well, that. Thank you for your time, Stephen. I don't want to take up too much of your your radio. No, Maggie, thanks thanks for the call. All right. Good deal. Um, Nicholas, did you did you wanna add anything? I thought that was a very good call and I think we, we, we covered some very good points. Was there anything you wanted to add on to that? Because yeah. I, I wanna the well, next I thing I'll move on to is your I wanna go back to your doping trope. Um because sure. I think I I don't. I I wanted to do a bit more research into this before the show to find out. You know, I I, I don't doubt your your acquaintances' allegations. Your friend who was an Olympian that there is a lot of doping going on, and that it happens in lots of sports. I, I made the point to you that you know perhaps in sailing nobody's doping in sailing. You know. Well, I don't know. I mean, if if doping happens in baseball, it can happen in anything and everything. No, and it's unfortunate when it does happen because it 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 gives the it gives young people who are looking up to these um, to these people the opportunity to say, well, you know, my hero does it, therefore it's okay. Um, we've had we've had lots of, and the, especially here in the United States, whenever they've been caught, they end up lying about it, and then they they right. the testimony later reveals so so it it, it goes further. Right. Um, and my point too is that. I mean, it just makes it not as enjoyable or not as interesting to me that it's just—it's not honest competition. It's all, you know, to a large extent, a lot of it is cheating. And again, it's not normal human beings anymore. Even I mean, they're so need to be so devoted. I mean, look look at Olympians from the the 1908 Olympics versus today. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there were normal human beings in 1908 who had some particular gifts. You know, it was still in its proper place and proportional back in 1908. No, I don't think we can get away with And something that you told me about that was very surprising that I think a lot of our listeners maybe don't know about or wouldn't have heard about, I think you were saying something about getting some of the female athletes getting themselves pregnant. Uh, yes, abortion. Can you, can you share a little bit more about that? Because I, I talked to a few people about that before the show today, and they were just horrified. Right, yeah, that's something I uh, I read about in preparation of my anti-Olympics rant from the Winter Olympics. And uh, I'm just pulling up the article again. It's from LifeSite uh, News is where where I got it from. Uh, this is from in relation to the Salt Lake City Olympics, so it was actually a few Olympics ago. Um, so they were speaking to a Mona Passignano, director of research at the Tech. Texas pro-life group Life Dynamics is saying that now that drug testing is routine, pregnancy is becoming the favorite way of getting an edge on competition. One out Russian athlete told a reporter that as long as it goes to the 1970s, gymnasts as young as 14 were ordered to sleep with their coaches to get pregnant and then abort. The procedure is so well known that it made it into textbooks. Um, 
boost providing them with a hormonal boost? Yes, uh, pregnancy seems to increase muscle strength in female athletes. Uh, there's a Professor Polev from the Department of Medical Physiology at the University of Copenhagen saying that female top athletes, just following the time when they give birth to their first child, have set several world records. Of course, this is acceptable as a natural and unintended event. However, in some countries, female athletes have become pregnant for two to three months in order to improve their performance just after the abortion. Yeah, and that's just horrifying. It really is. Right. Um, I mean, it just shows to the lengths that that people will go because, like, I mean, in in a way... I mean, it's horrific, but, you know, for the women athletes, you know, they almost, I wouldn't say they don't know any better, but, I mean, I think there's a certain natural you, revulsion. You go back to what you were saying, that there's a single-minded dedication, so I don't think that there's anything yeah. off the table when it comes to right. their sport. I, I think they've sacrificed everything, and there's no price that they're not willing to pay. Um, right. And it's unfortunate. And when you told me that story, it, it very much saddened me because... Uh, it's one of those things that happen in sport that that uh, that is an unfortunate ethical choice. But it goes back, you know, if we'd had Pius XII addressing, and I'm sure we could dig up an allocution of Pius XII addressing athletes or or dancers or, or things uh, things of that nature, where you know you have an opportunity to be um, salt and light, and you know that that opportunity is perhaps much dimmed today. I think you know you your your and Maggie's points are, are well taken. Um, and I, and I, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think the question of this abortion doping segues a little bit into another difficulty I have with the Olympics and the way modern sport is handled. Is again, you know, the uh, destruction of distinction between the sexes, or the trying to make men and women equal and the same. That, that, I think, is another problematic aspect of it. Now, granted, it's separate men and women. They don't yet have, other than equestrian, which we can perhaps discuss later, they don't have combined events because they're at least that realistic to realize that the male athletes would, you know, they'd have all the, the they'd destroy the, uh, the women athletes. But, uh, I mean, there's a few different ways I can go on this. I guess I'm going to hammer on the the clothing issue first, and just the spectacle of women performing these types of physical activities in public view, I think is an occasion, can be an occasion of sin for, for men. And I think when we were talking before, even, even you, Stephen, had to admit that certain events you feel uncomfortable watching or you're not able to watch because well, of I, the... I, <laughs> well, either because it's un, unsavory or just... I, I mean, I took it when your comment on judo was not watching that is it's kind of the the revulsion that even the ancient Romans had for female gladiators. I mean, seeing women fight each other is something, I think, distasteful even to uh, an ancient Roman pagan who was happy to watch Christians get ripped apart by lions. But um, but but the immodesty, I mean, you, I mean you, you can't try and pretend there's anything remotely modest about any of the uniforms, and the uniforms get worse year after year. I mean, at one point, they at least wore shorts and T-shirts, and now they're wearing what barely more than a bikini from the, the few snapshots I've seen. I mean, I don't have a devil's tabernacle in my house, so I have, it's, you know, I haven't had access to any of the, any of the Olympic events, so just, you know, I'll see a news article. Well, and I've, and I've, 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 yeah, I've been streaming everything through my, through my netbook, but um, since I, I don't have access to, to television regularly either, but I think that... Um, I think I think your point's well taken. Um, uh, one of the things that, for the listeners who don't know, you know, obviously Nicholas and I speak as friends in between shows, and we're not just always talking about show topics, but some of the times we've been together, I've confessed, and and I, I can share this just anecdotally. Um, Bishop Williamson uh, was visiting me a few years ago, and he we were doing some work on on one of his books, and he was uh, sort of squirreled away in one of my in one of my classrooms, just doing some work. And so he could have some quiet space, but during the day it was during the summer, and you know some of my female students had come come and would come and go and he said he had asked me he said how do you you know how do you work with this, and how do you deal with this and I told him that I had sort of become desensitized to this after years and years of of teaching and and he said that's not a good thing 
and that stuck with me. And, I, and I, I've said that on more than one occasion. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing that I can be in a position to become desensitized to it. But interestingly enough, during the week leading up to um, the show with uh, with Nicholas, I you know he mentioned that, and so suddenly you know I paid attention to that more. You know, instead of having my desensitized eye, I paid attention to it, and. Those are two different issues. One, I don't want to see a woman competing in judo or weightlifting um, or even, I would say, beach volleyball where they're wearing scraps of scraps and jumping. <laughs> I mean, those are things where it's just explicit, you know, uh, in, in, in a way. I think when I look at gymnastics and, and things, synchronized swimming, diving, things that are, are so much more artful and beautiful, um, I that's where the difficulty comes in, in that there's such potential for expression and beauty here. And yes, it, it gets mitigated and corrupted by having um, immodest dressing because they, they certainly could have outfits that don't, um, that, that don't reveal as much or aren't as, as tight-fitting, and they could still perform well uh, in their events. Well, but it, there, is, there is a conscious effort to, to have less and less clothing um, that can't be denied. Now, this isn't true in every sport. Fencing is certainly not the case. Equestrian is certainly not the case. Um, sailing. Well, although even even equestrian, or what riding pants or skin tight pants. And again, like, I, mean, I, I go back. I, I always try and think of what would happen if we teleported a. You know, I'm into science fiction, so I you know I think of you know time travel. You know, what would happen if we went and abducted St. Thomas More? and brought him to our time and said, hey, you know, let, let's go to this event. What do you think of it? Or not even a saint, just some random peasant off the street or some knight from the Middle Ages. I, I mean, I, I think someone from a Catholic society would be completely outraged and appalled to see the spectacle going on. I mean, even the men. Um, I mean, there's such a thing as a modesty for men as well, and that's one of the soapboxes I like to get on sometimes is how it seems to me in traditional Catholic circles frequently women are held to a standard of modesty but men aren't held to a standard at all and no one will bat an eyelash at them showing up to, to mass in a t-shirt and jeans whereas well, the yeah. women are going to be like run out of town on a rail if they're not wearing a modest <laughs> skirt. You're right. I would I would say I know some Claire, Bishop Dolan, for example, gave a sermon just a few weeks ago where he said that it's not proper, and he said it from the pulpit, it's not proper for, for men to show up to Mass in anything other than a suit and tie. So there are people who mention it, and you're right that there there is a level of immodesty there. But you, right. we're, and, we're attacking... If I, can just, yeah, if I can just go one more point I want to make, because I'm just thinking of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa, when he's talking about why women shouldn't be teachers, and he, I can't, I don't have the, I could probably look it up quickly for the, the uh, which section in the Summa it's under. It, but um, where he says that one of the issues that the the problems with a woman being a teacher or a doctor is that they'll be up on a pinnacle in front of uh, all these men, and that that's an occasion of sin, and that's right here. I've got I've got the uh, the quote here now, uh, thanks to the internet. Um, uh, Summa Theologica, um, second part of the second part, question 177, uh, answer 2A, where he's giving reasons why women ought not be teachers, and just bear with me for a moment. Oh, hold on. I'm going to read the quote. You, you said Secunda Secunde 177. Yes. And then okay, what, so it says, uh, what article? Question uh, 1A. 2A, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's saying, okay, so speech may be employed in two ways, in one way privately to one or a few in familiar conversation, and in this respect the grace of the word may be becoming to women. In another way, publicly addressing oneself to the whole church, and this is not permitted to women, first and chiefly on account of the condition attaching to the female sex whereby a woman should be subject to man. Um, I can skip over that because that's not the most pertinent part here. Um, okay, so they talk about the subjection. And secondly, lest men's minds be enticed to lust, for it is written, Sirach chapter 9, verse 11, 
her conversation burneth as fire. So he says that women shouldn't be teaching or speaking in public even to a degree because uh, men's minds can be enticed to lust. Having women up on a, a you know platform in front of them Well, but Nicholas, surely at at your child's school up there in Canada, you have female teachers. Right, yes. Um, Well, but not to the high school boys. And I can attest from having gone to an all-boys high school, it was a complete and utter disaster when the Jesuits uh, decided it was a good idea to have women teachers. Uh, for well, the we're 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 going to get sidetracked because it's 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 somewhat it's related, but it's it's a, it's that's another show topic. I suppose we could talk about. Uh, right, but but I can tell you, I mean, we were absolutely we were lusting after the the younger women teachers that were uh, that were our teachers in high school. I mean, anyone who denies that. Well, we we all had some lying. Ideas. I mean, <laughs> I I mean, I know what all what we were all talking about. You know, behind the scenes, when the teachers were outside of earshot, and you know, and I was one of the good, pious, uh, you know, guys at the school who got accused of being a sodomite because uh, I, you know, tried to watch my my speech and not engage in too much of uh, the. You were concert. you were a goody good. So, yeah, I was a goody good, and still I can tell you that that that's what was going on. So. I mean, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, that's not going to be an issue. But, uh, you know, but to bring it back, I think the same holds true. Okay, obviously Olympians are not up there giving public speeches, but they're clearly in the public view, wearing scarcely any clothing, and engaging in, I mean, you know, the the physical activities that sometimes it can be graceful, but, you know, it's very... I mean, you would you would say provocative? Not, is that the word you would use? Yeah, provocative. I mean, it's not modest in any way, right? Like there's nothing being hidden. There's no meekness. There's no gentleness. I mean, that that's a whole other thing. Again, we're getting. I mean, other than other than we could argue what you had made earlier that there is a sort of androgyny to uh, to some well, female yeah. female swimmers and right. female gymnasts, so that they they don't necessarily have the the shapeliness that 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 might right. claim such thoughts. And, and again, I, I mean, androgyny. Has its whole other host of issues, especially in our society, where you know certain. Well, yeah, this is an aspiration of Virginia Woolf, and that's what, that that might be another show. We're always talking about other show topics, and that's the, the beautiful thing about Restoration Radio. Since we're interested in Catholicism, we're interested in everything. So if you have ideas for show topics, always feel free to share them with us. Um, we've we've got a few minutes left still. Um, for those of you who are just joining us. You are listening to Restoration Radio. My name is Stephen Heiner. I'm here today with uh, my friend and co-host Nicholas Wansbutter. Um, Nicholas runs a blog called Swords in Space, uh, science fiction from a traditional Catholic perspective. Um, and he also runs the blog Durandal, which takes a look at um, modern modern society through a medieval lens. Is that, is that a fair characterization, Nicholas? Yeah, I um, think that's fair. The exalt, exaltation of the Dark Ages. Um, and I run, of course, True Restoration Press and, um, and the blog True Restoration. And as I mentioned in our, our last show, which we did on the first part, um, getting us ready for the Spanish Civil War, we do have costs um, running the show and producing it, and we are happy as Catholics, as always, to take donations. You can go to PayPal and send something to truerestoration at gmail.com, be it $1.00 be it more than that, we're always happy to take anything that will help contribute. As that sort of builds up, we get into a position where we can bring um, stronger guests on because we can compensate them for their time and and, um, and not just ask them to sacrifice a lot of time without that. Um, we we can probably, if, if, there's, if there's someone out there who'd like to call, we could probably take one more call. Um, otherwise, we're, we're probably going to have to wrap it up. And uh, if you have questions on Twitter... We will still continue to take a look at that. I don't think we've had... Nope, we don't have any new questions there. Um, Nicholas, we've talked about doping. We've talked about immodesty. I think something that we need to talk about, and maybe we can end the show on this, this theme is clearly the Olympics have something to do with the New World Order uh, in the idea of things that unite people. So 
let's look at the positive aspect of this. There are universal languages that are spoken that that provide for people to get to know each other better. So when I'm in a foreign country, I notice that music can unify, you, art can unify. I can I can stand next to someone. I was I was at the Picasso Museum, which fascinatingly enough, Picasso in his very early ages was quite traditional in his in his brushwork. I'm standing next to an early Picasso work next to someone who speaks Japanese and doesn't speak any English. And, and there's there's a there's a unifying force that art, music, and sport can bring. Now, clearly, nothing can unify other than our Lord, or cannot unify in a lasting, permanent way like our Lord through the social reign of Christ. That that has to be admitted. There is a temptation here within the Olympics, within events like this, that we can we can, in the words of, of Neville Chamberlain, find peace in our time through things like this. And so the Olympics are always striving for peace through sport. And if I'm competing with somebody, I'm not going to go to war with them. Um, what do you, when you look at the Olympics through the New World Order lens, am I giving you just more more uh, uh, powder to, to, to shoot me with? Yeah, I, I think you are, you're giving me more ammunition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's another aspect. And again, it comes back to how I've called it, was it, to to me the the olympics is one of the rituals of the modern religion of liberty fraternity equality of the exaltation of man this is an aspect of it and it's a a ritual aspect of it and it completely ties into the new world order in that regard the um you know, re- replacement of of God with man, making man into a god, and uh, these uh, false ideas of peace without God, uh, peace through some sort of nebulous you know, human uh, being nice to each other, sort of thing. I mean, yeah. So, in, in the words of one of our favorite bishops, um, uh, "All you need is love." Maybe. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, Nicholas, you brought up a uh, dress. I, I found a, a really um, a picture here. I'm going to post it on Twitter. Um, tennis, tennis at the turn of the century, I guess. Um, this is from this uh, player, Charlotte Cooper. I think is the first woman. She competed in the 1900 games, and if you look at her dress, tennis in the 1900s. If you look at her dress. Um, I guess I wonder is that something that that you would have approved of, um, Nicholas? I'm, I'll post it here in a moment. But um, you still you still wouldn't have, I suppose, from well, because it's it's a, it's a female it's a female competing. I, I think it's it can still be problematic. I mean, it could be a, certainly a step in the right direction. But I'm thinking of Dr. Horvath's. Uh, um, audio lecture on the revolution in clothing. Which and we and we love that we, we want to make it clear we here at Restoration Radio love Dr. Horvat and if she would ever want to come on her our show we would love to have her. Yes, sure uh, absolutely <laughs> and and I highly, highly recommend her C D that has this audio lecture where she talks about the revolution in clothing because she tracks the revolution in clothing from the Middle Ages when clothing was really as it should be, as it starts being corrupted through the um the the end of the medieval period into the Renaissance and so forth, but she gives the story and I can't remember the name of the countess, but she gives a story of late 1800s. There was uh, this countess who made a huge splash in the media, caused a huge sensation when she went down to the coast in her carriage and in her bathing dress, which is you know basically a regular Victorian dress covered from the, the the ground up to the neck, you know, and went into the water up to her ankles. And, and this caused a, a huge sensation. I think that now, you know, the, the whole could be other topics about Puritanism is that maybe that may be too much in in the other direction, but... I think it goes a bit to this desensitization and how far we've gone today. And I just can't picture in the medieval period, in the Middle Ages, I can't picture them having their women folk engaging in some sort of public 
spectacle, some sort of public competition for the consumption of everyone else. Anything I can think of in the Middle Ages of that nature was competition between men. Mm. So I mean, I'm not saying it's the worst thing ever, but I don't want to be coming across as too wild-eyed and tinfoil hat-wearing, but <laughs> I, I think we do need to consider how far we've come and where we've been. And again, I would think, you know, what, what would a you know simple medieval peasant say if I transported him ahead in time and we were talking about this stuff? Because well, that's someone say the food. The food is definitely not as good, <laughs> right? And, and I mean, that's someone who's marinated in Catholic culture, if I can use that that term. So that's why I think of that. And there is one other, I know we're running low on time, but there's one other point I think worth making. Because uh, on the, the the one message board that I, I wouldn't say I frequent, but I visit occasionally uh, Ignis Ardens, someone posted an article claiming that uh, Pope St. Pius X saved the, helped save the Olympics or helped promote the, nine, the Olympics when they were trying to break, revive them in 1908. And I don't want to get into the whole debate over over whether he actually said that, because when I've read some other sources, it seems that he didn't really give the Olympics his blessing. The, the person who went to speak with him, uh, the the uh, guy who was trying to start the Olympics, I forget his name, um, he, or Baron Pierre de Coubertin, he took what he wanted to take from it. But the, the comment about the Pope made some expression of opinion that healthful open-air sport was a sure means of compensating for the uh, ever-increasing strenuous mental work required of all. And, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about, about how sport may have a special place now when fewer and fewer people are engaging in uh, physical manual labor. But the irony of that is, to my mind, the Olympics hasn't done a very good job of accomplishing getting people into doing sport themselves versus watching it or any pro sport because if that were true then everyone would be doing sport and we wouldn't have this epidemic of obesity that we no, have. No, you're right. The New York Times did an article a year ago about how all the cooking shows haven't resulted in more people cooking. Right, and in all the sports shows haven't resulted in more people playing sports. You're right. I mean, they've resulted in people being obsessed with sports, and that, that's part of the reason perhaps I'm so harsh against sports. I mean, I, I recognize fully the positive aspects that that you point out, Stephen, and I have many positive memories, but it's extremely frustrating to me that I can't find a, a man, like, in much of my daily travels, even at the chapel, that I can talk to anything other than sports with. <laughs> Because I think I, so I, 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 I and, and I think that's probably a good note for us to end the show on that um, the, the Catholic principle always is all things in moderation, and that you know we as Catholics have a wide and enormous universe to enjoy ourselves from because that's what God gave us. But if if we do it in moderation, that 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 shows our appreciation for Him, and and I think we can agree on that, Nicholas. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> to end the show, and and I think uh, something, and I'd love to have Colleen Hammond on sometime to talk about this further. You know, how do we manage that in our children, and and make sure that they don't buy into this this culture of sport? It's, it's very valuable for them to participate. Um, just as an aside, for those for our listeners, if you've been voting with your feet, it seems that when we have clerics on our show, we have thousands of downloads. And when it's just Nicholas and I, we get hundreds of downloads. So if we are hearing your message loud and clear, more clerics. So we are working on that, um, and we will have more of those shows for you. Um, thank you again for joining us today. Um, you have been listening to Restoration Radio. I've been one of your hosts, Stephen Heiner, from uh, True Restoration, joined by Nicholas Wansbutter of Swords in Space, which you can find at swordsinspace.com, um, as well as his blog at Durandal. We will take you out with the, sounds like I just wrote the theme, the Star Wars a few years ago, 1984, John Williams Olympic fanfare that we started the show with. Uh, but <laughs> I can't listen to it and not think of Star Wars. And don't think there's not going to be a restoration radio about Star Wars. There will be. Uh, but we've, we've got to establish our legitimacy as serious people first. Um, thanks, for, thanks for joining me, Nicholas. 
and uh, utterly Always destroying me in, his, in a rhetorical debate. This program was brought to you free of charge by the generous sponsorship of an anonymous donor in honour of Saints Thomas Aquinas and Teresa of Avila. Please keep this donor in your prayers.